October in the Hudson Valley, when everything comes alive. I have been stalking the fall foliage map, but they're not changing just yet. There are a lot of historic sites we can see beautiful grounds in any weather. That could be fun. We could throw in some spooky stuff. Yay, spooky stuff! Recently, we hit the road to see some historic Hudson Valley sites. It was a pretty good run. We had a really full month last month. We really did. We saw some very cool historical places. Some places that I was aware of. Some I was not. Same. I learned a lot of stuff. Indeed. uh, Let's tell the people about it. So let's start with Union Church of Pocantico Hills. I always say Pocantico, and I know that's wrong. I know. It's Pocantico. It's one of the things that... uh, Kind of reveals that we're not originally from the area because we still struggle with Pocantico, Pocantico, you know. It's... Very true. It looks like Pocantico and every time a tour guide said it, I questioned it and they got progressively more annoyed with me. <laughs> so why go visit a church of all places? And the answer, uh, thank you Renaissance, is to see art, of course. Of course. So the first tour we're going to talk about, Union Church of Pocantico Hills, um, isn't exactly a tour because Union Church is super small, but I loved it. It just means that I uh, can't get lost. I can spend a little more time looking at everything and I don't have to worry about losing my tour group. You do tend to ping pong around museum exhibits. That comes from never knowing what's going to happen next, like in life, but also in my own brain, (laughs) which is why uh, I loved this tour. Um, Didn't have to worry about losing the tour group, and I could kind of swoop back for something we already talked about that I wanted to see again. No problem. Loved it. I'm always kind of delighted when we go to a museum, and I'm just reading through everything as I come across it, and you've already made a circuit of the room twice before you come back to see me. You've been to a museum with my mom. You know why I do that. I know why you do that. (laughs) You have to see everything once. And then come back and see it again if you were really interested. Because you might get left. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Union Church, which you can't get lost in, is a non-denominational Protestant church. It's been around for a long time, but I believe its most famous congressional members were the Rockefeller family. Yes, they were parishioners there. You show up a little bit early and you can walk the grounds a bit. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful, most churches are really beautiful. It's a gorgeous stone church and you can walk around a little bit. The groups are very small, which is really nice. So there aren't a lot of people milling around. You can take your time and take photos. Um, And then you're shepherded in with your small group. And if the light is just right, you feel like you're in a really chill kaleidoscope. That's a good way to put it. The rose window of the church is one of the big main features and one of the reasons you should go there. It is actually the final commissioned work of the French artist Henri Matisse. Yes. It was commissioned by John D. Rockefeller Jr.'s first wife, Abby, who is known as the driving force behind the founding of the Museum of Modern Art. We'll talk more about her later. We love her. Yes. Um, I knew that the Rose Window was the last earthly endeavor by Matisse, but what I didn't know before we showed up was that the other nine windows were Marc Chagall stained glass masterpieces. I, this is something, I mean, I didn't do too much research before we showed up. It's nearby, the tickets were really cheap, so we were like, let's go check it out, let's go see the Rose Window. So that was an amazing surprise. I love going in blind to like 
museums, concerts. I love a good surprise. I will say the tour guide was really good and explained all of the windows and why they were important, uh, not only thematically, but because they were works by this great artist. The family wanted to honor the memory of John D. Rockefeller Jr., so his daughter-in-law Peggy saw the stained glass work of Marc Chagall in Jerusalem and began pursuing him for the work. They came to an agreement. They had the windows installed in the church in, I think it was 1966, and each has a specific backstory, a part of the Bible that it is showing. Yes, and honestly, that is the most engaged I've ever been with Bible stories. They were so good at explaining the story and the window and the significance to the family. And because it's so small, uh, I think our group takes up like maybe two pews at a time. You can, you move from section to section and you can really uh, look at it and understand what they're saying and the color work and how much went into it. You really get a feel for each window and they're there are a total of nine windows, so you can really take your time with each piece. The large window in the back of the church. I think that was probably the most impressive piece. This thing must have been like 12 feet tall. It was massive yeah. and gorgeous. It's, I believe it's called the Good Samaritan window, and it's, it is really large. And I think it, maybe it's just the time of day that we went. The sun was coming right in. And the deep blues, you really felt like you were just on the ocean. It was so gorgeous. And they give you a good long while, even after the um, guide has explained everything, to sort of walk around and take it all in. Photos are not allowed inside the church. Um, but if you're too far away to visit, there is a virtual tour on HudsonValley.org. Um, if you are near enough to visit, I definitely recommend taking a trip up there. It's a short tour, amusing tour with air quotes. And so uh, it's not even your whole day. It's a great stop and there's plenty to do in the area. So um, if you're coming this way anyway, definitely take a stop over there. Now, all of our tours that we took from the historic Hudson Valley area all left from this next section, which was Phillipsburg Manor. Phillipsburg Manor is a living museum in Tarrytown, New York also known as, well, the northern part of Tarrytown is also known as Sleepy Hollow. So if you're familiar with that, you'll know the area. Uh, but it was it was a really cool experience for me. I enjoyed it very much. Very much so. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So Phillipsburg Manor, uh, the first time we stopped in there, I actually didn't know what it was. I thought it was a visitor's center. I thought it was like a Sleepy Hollow visitor center and gift shop, which it kind of is a little bit. Um, I just, but I thought that the rest of it, you can kind of see from the gift shop and the cafe, uh, there's a big glass area. I was going to say greenhouse, but it's for people, not plants. Um, so you can look out and you can see some, um, older looking buildings. And I thought it was just like a cute colonial Williamsburg-y men in tri-cornered hats, ladies churning butter type of experience. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was, I thought the town was leaning into like an old towny cute thing. I had no idea the depth of the experience that was waiting for me on the other side of that glass. <laughs> right. It's it's an actual early colonial plantation turned museum and it gives a true and honest look at life on a provisioning plantation. They don't beat you over the head with it. They just tell the whole story. You know, when you think about slavery in the United States, you think about the South. You don't yeah. really 
realized that there was slavery in the North too, especially in the very early stages of the colonization of this area. And Phillipsburg Manor helps to show you what that was like without kind of sugarcoating it, but also without kind of making you feel super bad about it. Yeah, there's a there's a little tension around that where people feel like you can't acknowledge it without feeling bad and you shouldn't feel great. Sure, it was a terrible you, thing. But you can't ignore it either. It's, it's not going to go away. It happened. So it's called Phillipsburg Manor because it was owned by the Phillips family, um, as was most of the area in 1750, honestly. Um, the original estate's boundaries were from Spite and Dival Creek, which is the little straight that you pass over when you leave Manhattan and come up into Westchester. Have you ever taken that uh, Metro North or the uh, Henry Hudson Bridge? That's that's that little spit of water that you pass over. Um, to the Croton River, which is like 30 miles north, and then the Hudson River on one side and the Bronx River on the other. Wow. So big area. Yeah, homie owned a chunk of Lower Westchester. <laughs> as you, you know, and as you do when you own everything... He was out jet-setting most of the time. Uh, the family did not live on the plantation like 90% of the year. Yeah, that's true. The entire provisioning plantation was run by 23 enslaved people, and the tour was focused on naming the people and talking about the lives they lived here instead of glossing over the ugliness of slavery. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, and I enjoyed the way that the story was told. You know, speaking the names of Caesar, the Miller, Massey and Sue in the dairy, keeping everybody fed, um, keeping things running, telling their stories across 200, I'm not good at math, 270 plus years <laughs> through the pieces of their daily lives, their actual lives that were left here on these grounds was an incredible way to turn a tour into an actual experience. Because we've done uh, Old Beth Page out on Long Island. We've done like the old town experiences before but this was so much deeper and going back to the people not property um, exhibit something that really um, stuck with me was that it's not just a story it's not just a textbook it's not just a movie someone made you're talking about real people that existed enslaved people whose names we know these are incredibly important stories knowing somebody's story can affect you and i think that's really important in the education of our humanity I don't remember I don't remember who said that in the actual documentary, but that line, I'll drop a link on the website, that line really stuck with me, the education of our humanity. Because we learn a lot, I mean, we're museum nerds, we learn a lot of stuff, but there are a lot of people out there who are highly educated who aren't educated in humanity. Unfortunate, but true. Yeah, extremely. Well, I think that's why we try to do this podcast and we try to be a little educational about it because I think it's important to uh, to tell these kinds of stories and, and maybe if somebody is not aware of something and we can teach them something about it, it'll make them a little more well-rounded and, and worldly and make the world a little bit of a better place, I think. It's true. I mean, even if you're just out for, a, I mean, it was a, it was a fun day. Mm. It was as fun of a day as you can have given that like it was a, it was a nice day. It was really interesting. We learned a lot of history, but I, we both clearly took something away. And so if we can encourage other people to go, maybe they'll take something away and, you know, peace train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back to Phillipsburg Manor, back to the estate. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the estate itself, it's comprised of four buildings, though only three of them are original. There's the manor house, there's the cookhouse, and the mill house. 
the barn um, is really cool. And impressively, it was actually moved down there from upstate New York in pieces and reassembled on the site. That was, I was not expecting to hear that. When you see the size of this thing, I don't, how many pieces did they move it in? <laughs> I was very impressed. I mean, completely disassembled. And they have people who's, who are experts in old barn construction. They basically just took it apart board by board. And, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, 1700s, this is not really like iron nails or a common thing at the time. So most of it is just put together by wooden pegs and just tight fitting joints. That's craftsmanship. That's... Oh, yeah. I'm a barn reconstructionist. What's the nomenclature on a... What does your business card say (laughs) when that's your job? That's a cool job. Raising barns and raising hell. (laughs) The barn is also home to a super cute orange cat named Ginger. Oh, Ginger. Uh, So friendly. Yeah, she stole the show. Like, (laughs) they were trying to tell us things and we were just like, kitty! (laughs) (laughs) That was the only real distraction of the day. But, I mean, it's a cat. Can you blame us? You can't. You can't. It's not our fault. So each building that we visited on the grounds had a trained educator dressed in period clothing. Gets kind of a feel for the times that we're working with. You get to learn about the life of the enslaved people who worked there. The staff is careful not to act in the role of the enslaved or the enslaver. They're just there to talk and educate from a third party perspective, which I thought was great. There are even actual documents on site. You can see bills of sale, ledgers, and inventories that tell the stories of these people. This is how they learned about their lives, who they are. It's documented. It's there. These people existed. They were real. These are their stories. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed how it was told and knowing that these were real people made, I mean, made the story real. They weren't stories. This is actual history. They also give you hands-on experience in each of the buildings. So in the barn, they actually have... I mean, it's a working farm still in a much reduced capacity, of course, but there are still crops growing. So they had wheat and you and someone else from our group was chosen to th- actually thresh the wheat. And he was explaining how to do it and, you know, showing that like, OK, you got it. If you don't if you don't get enough out, we can't make bread. We're going to starve <laughs> this 15 people here. Come on, guys. And they let you you know, kind of have a crack at it. And you could see you could feel the pressure and know that like. This is, this is how they lived. This is how they ate. This is what happened. And, um, you know, they also gave you a chance uh, turning the mill. You you got to turn that mill. It, it did not look easy. Uh, it wasn't, you know. it's These are these big stones. And honestly, the one that I turned was small, but it was a hand-powered one. Yeah, it was a mini and, one. And, you know, once you kind of get it going, but that, getting that first pull, like, yeah, I really had to kind of throw my weight into it. It was not easy work. But it was very interesting to see the technology level that they were dealing with the mill house was very complex this is but the river that moves past the mill house that powered the water wheel that drove the millstones that grinds the grain you know that's how it works and the people who operated this mill house they were highly skilled craftsmen you know these were people who had to know what they were doing they had unique skills and the giant millstones they have these things are maybe like 10 feet across yeah, they hundreds weigh hundreds of pounds. of pounds and the way they work is there are these grooves that are carved into them and when they wear down and they start to get flat they have to recarve those grooves and that was done by one of the enslaved people that were there he was a master craftsman his job was to carve these grooves and you had to have a very precise hand to be able to do it so it's not like they were unskilled labor these were 
talented, skilled, intelligent people who were put in a bad situation and had to make the best of it, unfortunately. They were indeed skilled craftsmen and women. Um, and I think what really blew my mind was that this they all sort of ran this business. You know, it's a provisioning plantation, which means that there was it was so large that they the crops weren't just to feed the household. They sent them out to go to the West Indies to make money. Um, you know, it was, it was a business. And these 23 people ran this business, essentially, but they were enslaved. And I didn't actually ask, but I guess uh, one of the educators, he could see it on my face. They, we were showing um, the office of the ledgerman. And this is where the person would take it, take inventories of how much wheat, you know, was ground, how much, how many beans were, how many pounds of beans, not how many beans were being shipped out. And it was this tiny office and they were explaining the staff of like, I guess the administrative staff, the fancy people who were not enslaved and could go home. And it was a minimal. And you're looking at this tiny office of this ledgerman and I guess he could see on my face, why didn't they just beat him up and run? <laughs> so, but it's, it's not just physical slavery. It's not just chains. It's where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you would be in a, a fugitive immediately. And so that kind of blew my mind a little bit in that it operated like a farm, like a business. But the, and these people, these highly skilled um, men and women ran this person's farm, this person's life essentially, but they reaped none of the benefits. So that, that was just really wild to understand in my brain. I, I'm still processing it. I will say that they only ran the business, as it were, I guess, until 1779, when the Phillips family, loyalists that they were, were arrested for treason, and the manor seized and used as collateral to raise funds for the colonial cause. Uh, after the war, it was sold at public auction, split into 200-some-odd little pieces, and this particular parcel changed hands until 1951, where it was acquired by Historic Hudson Valley, and our buddy John D. Rockefeller Jr. funded the restoration, the 20 acres that we now know as Phillipsburg Manor. It's actually part of the African American Heritage Trail of Westchester County, which was created in 2004 to help preserve historic landmark places that help tell the narratives of women and men of African descent who have made significant contributions to an American identity. So I think the tours run May through December. Oh, so you still have a little time to fit in a visit before the year ends. Yeah. And tickets will run you about 15 bucks, $10 for kids, up to 17 I think. And in my opinion, it's worth every penny. Absolutely. We were there for about three hours, I think. Um, but that might just be because we had a really lively group. <laughs> we were asking a lot of questions, and uh, which I enjoyed. You know, it was a really well-blended group. And we were just... One poor young lady asked where the refrigerator was. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. I don't remember what what the thing was that she was looking at, but it was most certainly not a refrigerator. And she asked if it was a refrigerator. And uh, our, our guide broke character just for like a split second. He handled it very well. I mean, we were trying all... To just kind of like not laugh at her because look, it's important to ask questions. You don't learn anything if you don't ask questions. Exactly. I felt a little badly for her, but she's the one who asked. Yeah, her friends would not let it go. Oh no. She listen. You get caught up in the story. We're in a we're in a dairy. 
where do you keep dairy in the fridge? It's, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. I don't, I think I would have taken an extra moment to process, but I get it. <laughs> so uh, for that, head on over to HudsonValley.org to pick up tickets and explore the interactive documentary that we quoted earlier, uh, People Not Property. It's a uh, it's an interactive documentary on the history of Northern colonial enslavement. It was produced by Historic Hudson Valley and it's available on their website. It's a really great documentary if you're into documentaries um, and if you're too far away to visit or a great primer if you're planning to attend anyway and just kind of want a baseline. That is something my mom used to do. She would get the teacher packets from museums because she's not super a museum person, but she was not going to let that stop her from introducing me, tiny museum nerd that I grew up to be. So she would get the teacher packets, the educator packets, and go through it so that she could talk to me about the material from a place of like authority. And what did I, I didn't know. I thought my mom knew everything. That is so smart. So definitely go check that out if you're planning to visit, if you're bringing um, children with you and you want to be able to answer their questions, head on over to HudsonValley.org and check that out. So the next place we're going to visit, you can actually catch the tour bus from Phillipsburg Manor, that visitor center right there. And we are headed to Kaikut, which was home to the Rockefeller family for four generations, I believe, and is now part of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. It comes from the Dutch word, Kaikut, it comes from the Dutch word for lookout and is perfectly situated at the highest point of the Pocantico Hills and offers amazing views of the painstakingly landscaped estate grounds, as well as the Hudson River and the Palisades. You can see very far from the top of this hill. I love the views. It was the first thing I noticed when we got there. I mean, just before we even got like the bus winds up that hill and the view just gets better and better. So yeah, the, the view definitely, I was already sold before we even got off the bus. <laughs> the grounds are expansive. But if expansive is not your jam, there are three different tours, depending on how much time you want to spend there. Uh, there's the highlights tour. It's about an hour and a half. It takes you through the first floor, the gardens, and the West Terrace. There's the classic tour, which takes you through the main floor, the art gallery, the golf room, and the carriage house. This is the one that we did. That was about two and a half hours altogether. And then lastly, if you really want to go all out, there's the grand tour, which is everything in the first two tours, plus you get extra time in the gardens and a tour of the second floor, which we did not get to see. And that one takes about three hours. We got to go back. <laughs> so we did the classic tour. Um, we did it as part of a package with Travel Zoo. So we, I thought we were getting everything. We got to go back now. Um, it did cover the main floor, which was pretty large. I was super into the music room because grand piano, the sweeping staircase, which is something I've always wanted in my house. I will have it one day. And uh, the drawing room, which is where Abby Rockefeller and her pals used to gather to show off their latest art acquisitions. Yes. So Abby was an avid art collector, as were her friends. Their regular art meetup grew beyond the bounds of her home. So she began leasing space where they could bring their art pieces to show one another. And not to cut the story too short, but we now know the fruits of this labor as the Museum of Modern Art you we love her <laughs> love abby it was very cool to see i mean it was an impressive room but just to know what went on there and what grew out of there i, I had to take i had to try to sneak a photo <laughs> <laughs> you also get to check out the west terrace as mentioned which gives you that 
unparalleled view of the Hudson River and the Palisades across. So um, we were kind of already playing teacher's pet with the tour guide throughout the tour. <laughs> but when we got outside, uh, she was telling us how there were mining things across. You know, they were mining stone over there and the Rockefellers were like, oh no, they're ripping out this gorgeous view, beautiful nature. So she asked, you know, you're the richest person in the world essentially right now or the in the Americas. How do you stop that? And people were saying, you know, you you file a petition, you talk to the foreman, you and our tour guide just kind of looks over to us and we both say in unison, buy, buy it. it. <laughs> and she was so thrilled. She's like, I knew you guys would know. <laughs> but I mean, she gave us the primer. You're the richest person in the country. What do you do to stop? It doesn't matter what the rest of the sentence is. You buy it. So I'm not sure if he actually bought the Palisades. I don't know how one does that. But the Rockefellers are indeed among the supporters of the creation of the park along the Palisades. There are plaques and dedications to them over there. So I guess in a way he bought maybe a piece of it. I don't think he bought the Palisades, but it's still really funny. Well, you know, I think the current governor of New York at the time, one Theodore Roosevelt, was also uh, looped into that to help make that park happen. That's the Palisades Interstate Park that goes through Jersey and New York on that border there on the west bank of the Hudson River. And you can still see those cliffs today. They're there. They're beautiful and breathtaking every time I see them. Yeah, I mean, it makes waiting for a train so much nicer. Like you just, in any kind of weather, I just stare. Gorgeous. And so from the west uh, terrace in the Rockefeller Estate, Kaikut, Gorgeous views. If it wasn't blazing heat, I could have stayed out there all day. But the star of the show was the art gallery. I was expecting a few really cool pieces, I mean, especially after Union Church. I, I know the Rockefellers, and or at least specifically Abbey Rockefeller and art, so I was expecting a few really cool pieces, but I was not prepared. I was floored. It was so cool. The art gallery in the basement contained several tapestry recreations of Pablo Picasso's art commissioned by John D. Rockefeller Sr. in collaboration with Picasso and woven by René and Jacqueline de la Bombe de Bac in France. And there were actually a couple of framed original Picasso sketches in there as well. There was a lot of cool art down there. I was blown away. I was not expecting that at all. No, I, I thought, I also didn't realize it was going to be so big. It was like a solid, like, 40 minutes of the tour. I thought it was, it was a basement, so I thought we were just going to have a quick a quick peek. Actually, I did find out one cool thing about those tapestries uh, when I was doing research for this episode, is that one of those tapestries from that series uh, hung in the UN for a very long time and was only recently taken down for restoration work. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I wish they told us that. It was, it was amazing. And again, I really appreciated having a small tour group because you couldn't, you didn't really go very far. So maybe the tour group is over here. They're only a few feet away talking about something and I can just stare at this one art piece that's really taken my eye. You don't have to worry about like, oh, I only have a minute to look at it. I have to trot behind these 30 people. It was maybe 15 folks. It's a very small shuttle bus. So it's a small group. You don't move too far away from each other. You can really take your time with the pieces. And just when we thought that the tour was through, or I thought the tour was through, um, because we were in the basement for so long, they, you pile back onto the shuttle bus, and then there's a stop at the carriage house. The carriage house was really cool. 
because it was a functional carriage house at the time the house was built. So they have the coaches that the family used, and you can see the stables where they kept the horses. But because of the time period we're talking about, and there's four generations of the family here, they lived through the invention of the car. And so they had a lot of the cars that the family used there too, including a very rare thing that I had never seen before, which is one of the first electric cars ever made. It was bananas. I thought the first electric car was made like, I don't know, three weeks ago. I did not. <laughs> I wasn't expecting one from what was it like the 30s or 40s? Yeah, yeah. It was a battery powered like Model T looking car. It only went like maybe 20 miles an hour, but that's still pretty fast for those days, I guess. But it was really cool to see just kind of this historical automobile. And they're well-preserved. They look great. Uh, but yeah, I had no idea that electric cars were that old. Same. I was, again, going in blind. Not something I expected to see. Love a good surprise. Normally, I don't love a guided tour at all, but I am coming around. Um, it's the only way to see some places because humans can't be trusted. So I've just got to suck it up. I think that the guides have a lot to do with it. And Historic Hudson Valley does a really great job of empowering their guides to act more as educators. When I was explaining this tour um, to some, you know, some friends were coming to visit and I was saying we should do it. And they're like, no, you did it already. And I, I would absolutely take this tour again. Um, we've definitely done some tours where the person just recited random facts with no or yelled random facts. And I just retained zero information five minutes after the tour was over. If you asked me what it was about, I couldn't tell you. Whereas this was kind of when I was explaining it to some friends saying I would do this tour again. It was like doing a walkthrough of a house where your friend was house sitting and like she knew these people. So I wish I could remember our tour guide's name because names are important. But she was so cool. She talked about the Rockefellers like they were her cousins. You know, after a while, she wasn't even giving us the whole names. She's like, so Abby, and then John did this. And like, you knew which, who she, you know, junior or senior, you knew who she was talking about just by her tone. One of the framed artworks that we saw on the main floor of the house is a poem in German. And since that was our guide's native language, she took a moment to read a bit of it to us in the original form. And it was honestly one of my favorite moments of that entire tour because it was just such a personal connection for her and this artwork in this house and you could see how much she cared about it and how much she enjoyed sharing this with all of us. And it was one of my favorite moments of that whole thing. It was, yeah. I, I think that's when we became teacher's pets because I, I was I was enamored with that moment as well. I was like, it was a very long poem. So she gave us like the first two stanzas and I was like, no, keep going. <laughs> so if you have the time to take the grand tour, the gardens and the grounds around the house feature numerous sculptures from many artists, including Andy Warhol, Alexander Calder and Henry Moore. I mean, the Rockefellers were so ingrained in bringing art to the New York area just because they had the money to spend. And honestly, culturally, we're all the richer for it because now we have all these great museums. There's all this artwork we can see. A lot of it is still at the house. And you can go see it now because it's open to the public. All you got to do is buy a ticket. Yeah. And they, um, I don't recall the price difference in, in tour packages, but it, it wasn't crazy. It was worth every penny um i would actually like to go back and do the grand tour i'd love to walk the grounds when it's warmer maybe next year <laughs> um the estate covers about 3400 acres which is around five square miles so i imagine that's a nice long tour yeah and this is after 1700 acres were donated to the state to create 
Rockefeller State Park, which we've talked about. Oh, yes. And we talked about that in the last episode, I think. But we didn't get to talk about what's on the other side of the park. Is it time for spooky stuff? We did promise for spooky stuff, didn't we? Spooky stuff! So, what's on the other side of the park? On the other side of the park is the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. <laughs> this Sleepy, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was my favorite story as a kid. And in 1996, when they uh, passed the vote to rename the northern part of Tarrytown Sleepy Hollow after the Washington Irving story, a lot of people were really salty about it. It's, you know, it's not a real place. I about lost it. <laughs> I wanted to go there just for no reason. Like, I just wanted to go. And nobody wanted to go with me because we were 16 and nobody cared. Um, <laughs> like, it's over. You know, Ichabod Crane is not real. Which, he is real. He but- is real. Actually, we've been to his grave. That's in Staten Island. It is. We'll definitely have to, we do a Staten Island episode. We could do a whole episode we could, on Staten yes. Island. <laughs> um, but yes, so that is real. And now I have now we we live so close. Now I'm there all the time. It's weird, weird thing to say. But Sleepy Hollow Cemetery is one of my favorite places to go just to relax. So if you're coming from the city, it's about 45 miles from Brooklyn, 22 miles from the Bronx, and it's 10 minutes from the Phyllis Manor Metro North Station. So you can take the train up there. There's buses that'll take you to the oh, downtown yeah. area, and it's a short walk from there. Easy to get to. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely recommend coming on up. Um, it sounds like a weird place to spend a day, and it can be a tough sell if your friends are not um, creepy folks. But um, I've never brought someone there who was who then, after being there, was like, why did you... What is this? <laughs> I've, ne- I've never lost a sale. It's, it's, a, it's a tough sell sometimes, but... I mean, if you tell them the facts, it's 90 acres of long paths, rolling hills. There's even a babbling brook with a, um, a bridge. They call it the horse. It's not obviously the original Horseman's Bridge, but there's a super cute bridge over a babbling brook where you can take photos. When my mom came up last year to see the autumn leaves change, I told her, I have, I have a place to take you. We're going to spend the day at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. And she... Wasn't super into it at first, but given that it was my favorite story, I'm like, it's Sleepy Hollow. Come on, it's October. We have to go. And we dragged my uncle and uh, my aunt and their kids along with us. And at first I was like, okay, we're going to go with you on this. But literally as soon as you walk in the gates, they have, I mean, they're selling Sleepy Hollow merch, Headless Horseman stuff. It's a little kitschy right at the edge there. And as soon as you walk in, it's just gorgeous. It's breathtaking. You know, on its on its face, if you take out the cemetery part, it's a sculpture garden. Beautiful 90-acre sculpture garden. And by the end of the day, my mom and her brother, my uncle, were trying to see who could take, like, the most beautiful photo. It's like, oh, that tree is gorgeous, the way it's coming over that building. The building was a mausoleum. But they were... <laughs> but if you just recode in your head... So they were trying to see who could take... Oh, the, look at how the sun is shining in. And they were having, like, a the way only brothers and sisters can, a competition to see whose photo would come out better. <laughs> they did come away with some great pictures, though. That was a fun day. I, I enjoyed that. So around the cemetery itself is the town of Sleepy Hollow. So there are other things to do if you don't want to spend the entire day in the cemetery. Like True. We do. But <laughs> it's certainly a great place to visit. Uh, it does close pretty early. Gates close at about 4.30. Um, so you'll have your whole afternoon, evening to yourself if you're not spending the whole day there. 
if you go during a weekend, there will be a lot of people wandering around, so you don't have to feel like you're that lone guy just walking around the cemetery just, being a creepy dude. Yeah. Uh, if you visit on a weekday, it is pretty quiet. Uh, we actually saw some deer in the middle of the day. We we're just walking around in the middle of the day, and just two deer just hanging out, having a little snack on the grass. They were so cute. They were literally bounding like over the tombstones, and if they weren't tombstones, it would have been like 11% cuter. But I've never, I mean, we've seen deer before. But I've never seen little baby deer literally bounding up hills. Adorable. But if creepy is your thing, definitely visit in October because the town, I mean, the cemetery, yes, but the whole town leans into the Headless Horseman vibe. It's, they, they all do it. When you walk in, the first thing you see is a sign. It's done like in the style of those historical markers that says the Headless Horseman tethers his horse and walks among the gravestones at night. It's... It's not as creepy as it sounds. It's gorgeous. I will have to, I'll do a photo dump. Um, every time I take anyone there, we always just dump all of our photos into a shared album so we can just stare at the trees, the paths, the water. It's so beautiful. And you really have an appreciation for a lot of the way these tombstones are carved. They're not just regular, you know, whatever that shape is. Tombstones. There are um, sculptures, there are statues. There's like the weeping woman looking like she's wearing silk, but it's carved out of marble. It's incredible. A lot of the more modern graves in the north end of the park and mausoleums, there's a lot of great sculpture work there. And you can find some really impressive pieces. But in the southern end, where the old Dutch church is, is where a lot of the earliest graves are. And there's like, it's crazy to see how old this place has been here. You know, it's been here since before... The revolution this is you know dutch occupied new amsterdam era new york you know yeah the church itself was built in 1697 um and if you're if you're a fan of the story you will see the name van tassel on some of the tombs around the church uh, and if you're a fan of the movie if you if you can get inside the church sometimes it's open sometimes it's not if it's not you can peek in you will recognize the church from the movie they did a really good job recreating it absolutely i agree they they have it open for services if you are a member of the congregation i think there are also times where you can visit where it's open i'm not sure Uh, especially around october and halloween they occasionally do readings of the sleepy hollow story uh in the church but those fill up really quick so you're gonna have to get on that if you want to get into it yeah the first time we went they allowed us in between readings, like just to peek around for about 10 minutes. And every time we've gone since then, I haven't been able to get inside the church. So you've got to go early for that. Yeah. Uh, talking about the northern section, there are a lot of famous people buried there. Yeah. And part of the fun is kind of going to go find their mausoleums and graves and see where they are. Uh, the Rockefeller family has a massive mausoleum at the top of the hill. Of course they do. Uh, but also Andrew Carnegie is buried there. Walter Chrysler is buried there. And infamously, Leona Hemsley is also buried there. Again, a weird thing to say, but man, her mausoleum is so beautiful. When you, she has the city skyline of Manhattan in stained glass on the back. So if you go late in the afternoon, the sun comes right in and it just makes this rainbow across the floor. And her and her husband have, I don't remember exactly what they say, but the epitaphs are they kind of mirror one another and oh they're my God, so yes. cute. They, it is it is such a lovely sentiment from 
people who were generally terrible to most other people. Yeah. But you could tell that they loved each other. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I kind of get. <laughs> I love you. I can be terrible to most people. Nah. <laughs> I, uh, I always try to clean up any leaves I see around her uh, on the stairs. I always try to sweep a couple things. Maybe she'll bless me with a winning lotto number or two. Uh, but yeah, we always make our way over there because it's it's kind of removed from everything. It's a little bit of a walk, but so worth it. It's so beautiful. Also buried in that northern part of the cemetery is Elizabeth Arden, a ah. name that folks might recognize. Um, so Elizabeth Arden is a name folks might recognize, but she's actually buried under her maiden name, Graham. When you get close to where her where her tombstone is, I wasn't quite sure. I knew we were in the right area, but I wasn't sure. You won't be able to miss it because her tombstone is always adorned. People leave lipsticks, people leave uh, coins, rocks. It's going to be the one overflowing with little trinkets and treasures from visitors. But that was just, it feels really inside information. I always go pay my respects every time we're there. There are a couple other very interesting graves there that are maybe not necessarily famous and wealthy people, but... There's certainly ones that stick out in my mind. One of them particularly is John Buckout. Uh, <laughs> I love his tombstone because it talks about how he left behind 240 children and grandchildren. Bro. You know, I don't remember. I wish I could remember what the, like how old he was when he died. How, how do you even. In his 90s, for sure. Sir, sir, I would love to know how many living descendants he has now in this area. Right? <laughs> like, is it just 80% of the people I run into at the supermarket or this guy's, like, great-grandchildren? <laughs> they gave out maps of the historical part of the cemetery with a lot of the interesting graves on it, which is how we found a couple of them. So if you go during the weekend and you see somebody there with, you know, some papers informative, go ahead and take them and, and just go around and, and look for these graves because there's a lot of cool stories. One of them, which is my absolute favorite, is the Lovers. And their tombstone is a little more modern than a lot of the other ones because it was upgraded by their families. But the original story, Jacob Romer and Freyna Herlager ran away to the New World together, but unfortunately they got separated when they arrived. So they were employed by different masters to pay back their passage and they lost contact, but... They were reunited here in Sleepy Hollow by a local postman. They worked just down the road from each other. They didn't even know. And so he was explaining his lost love to the postman. He was like, wait a minute. I know who that is. It's such a crazy story. They were married at the old Dutch church that's there. It was such a beautiful tale. That's so cute and so sad. Like, what a beautiful tale of, of being reunited. But I'd also be so mad. Like, you were down the block this whole time. <laughs> But, you know, they were working. They, they couldn't, they, they never would have found each other. Thanks, Postman. All respect to Postman. Mm-hmm. That is such a sweet story. I love them. And I love, we always also visit their grave to pay respects whenever we're there. My personal favorite, someone who isn't famous per se, but should be, is Hulda of Bohemia. Oh, yes. That is my homegirl. Idol. Bailey Sarian's always telling me to get better idols. I got one. I got one. So Hulda um, was a resident of Sleepy Hollow way before it was called Sleepy Hollow, you know, the area. And um, unlike the other folks in the area, she was single. She was from, she was of Bohemia, 
as her name suggests. And she was, she was the local witch. She was a potions lady. She was, she was me. She was the chemistry lady. She was like, oh, you have a rash? I got something for you. Oh, you don't feel well? Here's this poultice. And because she was not a married, you know, housewife, a married woman with kids, she was just this solo lady who I guess liked to wear dark colors and kept to herself and like made potions in the night. They sort of shunned her. They were not, they were not big fans of Hulda and she did not care. She, if someone wasn't feeling well in the village, she would make these potions, she would put together her, her poultices, and she would just leave it on their doorstep, like, all right, you don't like me, but this is going to make you feel better, so drink it, don't drink it, whatever. Um, I, I respect that, because I'd be like, all right, well. So Hulda uh, wasn't allowed, you know, women weren't allowed to fight in battle, so the revolution came to our doorstep, and they were just like, no, we don't, we don't, you're a woman, and you're weird, you don't speak English very well or Dutch or whatever they spoke. No, thank you. And so finally, when the revolution literally came to the shores here, that the redcoats were coming, it was the get down. She did not care. They told her you couldn't, you can't, women don't fight in battle. And she told them respectfully, fuck you. And she rode, <laughs> she rode for a community that shunned her literally. Well, maybe they, maybe they marched. Maybe she didn't literally ride, but I like to think in my head that she rode. She literally mounted up, um, went to the front lines after they told her no with her rifle and she was a crack shot. She was, she was taking folks out. She was fighting for her community, defending her home. And she was so good at it that the British actually called her out as a target. They're like, wherever, wherever this is, wherever this is coming from, go be, get that tree, whatever's back there, get her. Well, they probably said get him because they didn't believe it was a woman. But she was such a crack shot. She was so good that they really literally like organized and came for her. And she was unfortunately killed in battle, defending her homeland. And they, of course, the, 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 the town, the neighborhood was like, oh, she's actually amazing. She saved a lot of lives that night. And they brought her body back. And when they were um, going through her things to clear out her house, they found next to her bed, her Bible. So they felt rightfully stupid. Um, she was not a witch. She's a God-fearing woman. And a little clutch of gold that in her, in a note as her last will and testament, she willed to the women in the village who had lost their husbands and sons in battle. Wow. So they, everybody in the town just came together to massively eat crow and they gave her a proper Christian burial on the old Dutch church grounds. And that's a gravestone you'll be able to spot as well because it's well adorned. People always leave gifts, including myself, every time we go there. That's that's my homegirl. That's Hulda of Bohemia. So yeah, definitely make sure you grab one of those maps if they're giving them out when you go visit because there's a lot of cool stories to tell there. And you can learn a lot about the people who lived in the area. Just a friendly reminder that Sleepy Hollow Cemetery is an active cemetery. It's a real cemetery. It's not a tourist attraction. I mean, there are visitors, there are volunteers restoring graves. There's, it is, visitors are welcomed, but it is an active cemetery. There are signs everywhere that um, picnicking is not allowed. You know, I'm a huge proponent of packing a lunch, but please do not pack a lunch. <laughs> Be respectful. We've definitely run across actual funerals while we were there sometimes going on. So it's, it's very cool to see. It's a beautiful place to visit, but just a friendly reminder that it is a cemetery. Do be respectful. Just don't act foolish. That's, you know, basic rule of life. 
So I know that we've kind of info dumped on you for this episode. We've thrown in a lot of names and a lot of dates, but don't worry. We've written it all down for you at our site, metalandfire.com. Yeah, you don't have to remember any of this. We, we, we know we talk a lot, so we've written it all down. Uh, that's metalandfire, spelled out, dot com. Uh, just hop in the car, hop on the train, head up to Sleepy Hollow, and you can hit Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, Phillipsburg Manor, and Kaikut, really, in a day if you wanted to. Absolutely. You could definitely do all three of those in one day. Plus, uh, if you stop over at Phillipsburg Manor, there's a uh, gift shop and some cocoa. So, you know. So thanks for joining us on our historic Hudson Valley journey. Um, head to metalandfire.com to check out uh, anything that we've talked about today and get the details. Or uh, head to hudsonvalley.org to pick up tickets to anything we've talked about today and check it out for yourself. Until next time, be safe on the road. We'll see you out there.